made a crybaby out of me. But that's all right, because we got an eternity to look forward to if we're in Him, to be with that high King of glory. If you will, um, go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 1, verse 45 and 46, and then we're going to read verse 49. But before that, I'm going to read Matthew 13. But before we get there, we've been talking about who's your one. Who's your one? And a, and a lot of times I think whenever we hear the word one, we think insignificant. We think, well, that's not much. Um, that's not worth too much. It's just one. Uh, we as humans, we tend to think of big things. When you think of money, you think lots of money. You don't think pennies. You don't think dollars we think things like that are small and insignificant when you hear one i mean if anybody's ever been to my house and watched me open a box of cookies matt johnson does not eat one cookie <laughs> to, for matt johnson to eat one cookie would be insignificant for me it would be insufficient so there is our fleshly nature it should be sufficient but it is not it's not. So if I'm eating a cookie, who wants to eat one cookie? I mean, who wants to eat one slice of pizza? Who wants to? I mean, come on, guys. You know, like you think one and we think insignificant. It's just not enough. I mean, what's the value of one dollar? What's the value of one penny? And I think we forget a lot of those things until you have children who keep every penny and every nickel they find because they know that it amounts to something. They know that it, it's not worthless. They know if I add up this these one cents, these five cents, we add them up, it adds up to a dollar, and a dollar will add up to other things, and it will, it will be significant eventually. It will be worth um, something more than what I have. Um, but the Bible consistently speaks about one, like what one is, consistently, over and over. You have the, the one pearl of great price. You had the story about that, the one pearl of great price, the one lost sheep. You know, he left the 99 to go find the one sheep. If one wasn't significant to God, he would not leave 99 to go find the one lost sheep. The one wayward son, he had everything he had left at the house the father did, but he, want, he wanted that one son to come home. One, the one son. Disciples of Jesus often overlook the value of one. We, we honestly do that a lot. We think, when we think of evangelism, we think, oh, there's so many, there's such a sea of people that are lost. Such a sea of people. But we, we don't have to win the whole sea of people. We just have to win one. One at a time. One invitation to church. One message of hope. One neighbor one coworker, one friend. If one wasn't significant, think about your own life. You are one, one person, and how that one message of hope changed your whole eternity. Think of your own life and think that's not significant. That's, 
big time significant. Ask, I want to ask you a question. Can you name one person who has come to, th- come to Christ through your invite and witness? Not that you saw them, but someone that you had a part in. You may have said a word about, about Jesus. You may have said a passage you had been studying. And you find out a week or two later, a month later, or years down the road later, they said, I remember when you said that. And you thought it was insignificant. You thought it was just an ordinary day. You thought it was just something that you read that morning. But that one little thing that you said to that person had a part and it played in their life of being changed for eternity. God used that one little phrase. So see, we think one is insignificant. We think the ordinary is insignificant. But the things, if your mind is intentional towards the gospel and you're saying these things to these people, it means something and it is is significant. That one person's soul is significant. It is an eternity. That one person... You are one person. It is, is a, it is a significant thing. And the gospel makes all of this possible. It's the power of God for salvation is what Paul said in Romans chapter 1. It is the power of God, this gospel that we know, that the, this gospel that has changed our life. It is the power of God that has changed our life through this gospel. And in the same passage, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why would we be ashamed of anything that has changed our life so significantly? How could you be ashamed of it? If you knew you were going in one direction and and God totally changed you and put you in another direction, He took you from going to hell and He put you to going to heaven, how could you be ashamed? How? How could you be ashamed? Whenever we are ashamed, and that comes sometimes, you come and you feel like you can't say anything or you feel like you're nervous about it. Remember the significance of that one person or that other person praying. You don't know. One person may have brought you the gospel, but they, they cared about you. They cared about you. It, it is significant. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. So let's read these passages. I'm going to read in Matthew 13, 44 through 46 first, but we're going to stay for a little bit, just a little bit in John 1, 45 and 46. So I'm going to read Matthew 13, 44 through 46. These are parables now that the Lord uh, Jesus was speaking to the people about the kingdom of God. It was a story that kind of uh, it told a deeper truth, a deeper meaning about something that was a reality in, in uh, the life of the kingdom. So in, in 13:44, Jesus says, "The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field." How many of you, if you found a treasure in a field, what would you do? Like you were just walking through I mean. I live out in the country, you know, you just decide to walk through a field and all of a sudden you, oh, there's something hard over there. And you dig it out, you find out it's a trunk full of treasure. But it's not your property. It's not your property at all. And it's like a huge amount. He said, it's like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Now this is not just some little bitty bitty treasure. This is a life-changing a life-changing amount of treasure that he's found. In verse 45, he goes into another one. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Now, pearls were very expensive in this day, very expensive, very uh, significant. Who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. 
the significance of one. Let's go to uh, John chapter 1 here in verse 45 46, uh, through 46 and then verse 49. This is when Jesus was calling some of the disciples. Let's read. I'll, I'll, I'll go back to 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from uh, Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, he grabbed his buddy. He went to go find one person. He found Nathanael. And he said to him, We have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And his buddy Nathanael says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? How many times have you ever wanted to, you were excited about the Lord and you tell somebody, Hey, I've, man, listen, you've got to come and see What's going on in my life? You've got to come and see what's going on at church. You've got to come and see what the Spirit of the Lord is doing. And then they think of something off, like, because they know about something else. They say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of that? Their mind's just not set. But Philip says to him, come and see. Come and see. You've got questions? For, forget it. I'm telling you what I've seen. Come and see it. Verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Let's pray before we get in. Lord, we, we love you. Lord, I pray that you would put deeply into our heart the significance of just reaching one person. Lord, show us that significance. Lord, show us uh, your heart on that. Give us eyes. Lord, be our vision like the song said. Be our vision. Help us to keep our eyes so firmly fixed on you that every ordinary conversation we have has the aroma of you has the aroma of the gospel even in the everyday life and everyday conversations lord let us find the significance of reaching one person lord uh, show us this today lord uh, be with my mouth help me to speak only the things you'd have me speak fill me with your spirit fill everyone here with your spirit lord don't let this be something that falls on deaf ears lord we know that there are people here who, whose destiny has not been changed, that you have not changed their life. Or do something in their hearts today, in Jesus' name, amen. So you had these guys, you had Philip, he told Nathaniel, he's like, come and see. He went after one person at a time. He didn't go off and run off and preach a whole entire sermon. He went to go find this one person. So the first point we want to get to today, it's very straightforward. Very practical stuff today. Very just, hey, this is right. This is the way it is. There's nothing fancy, nothing out there. No, the first point we want to say is if we're going to be like Philip, if we're going to be like these guys reaching one person, we have to commit to being an intentional witness. We have to commit to do this. And this will re require intentionality on your part. It will, it, will, it will require you doing it on purpose. Because if you don't put it in your heart to do it on purpose, you will not ever get around to it in these conversations it won't just happen it will require accountability for you to stick to your commitment you will need to have partners who join you in the mission who people you say well hey i'm going to hold you accountable are you getting around to the conversation are you getting around to the gospel are you getting around to telling this good news you will also like we said last week 
You'll need a drive. You'll need something to drive you to get that person. Like we mentioned, the paralytic, you'll need something to drive you to get them to Jesus. And when, if you get there and the door's closed, you'll have to have the drive and the passion to say, the door's closed. It may be closed, but I'm going to dig a hole in the roof. We're going to get this person to Jesus, to get him uh, to his feet. You will need a drive. You will need a passion. But when you think about evangelism, I think we get distracted by so many different things you need a passion not for debating someone not for debating debating doesn't win anyone to jesus it may answer a few questions it doesn't do that not for debating not for your church not a passion for evangelism not a passion for even missions you don't need a passion for any of those things you will just need a passion for jesus and when you have a passion for Jesus and you're sitting at his feet and you're talking to him and you're conversing with him like he's a real person, not some robot, not some thing that you're just practicing with. You're talking with him in a real relationship and he's filling your heart full of the gospel and different aspects of the gospel and different things that he's done in your life. It'll be from the overflow like Chuck said earlier. It'll, fill, it'll come from the overflow of your life. It will spill out in the, in the conversations. You will need a passion for Jesus in order to persevere in the mission. If you don't have a passion for Jesus and it just kind of sparks here and there, you'll, you'll give up and, you'll, and you'll, uh, it'll, it'll fall to the wayside. The passion for seeing them to know, uh, getting them to Jesus and to see them getting saved will fall to the wayside. You'll have to persevere in the mission to point others to the life-transforming hope of the gospel. And this is one thing that I told our discipleship group this past week, don't get discouraged when things don't go the way you think they should go. Like we said just a while ago, every little bit happened, uh, helps. Every little piece that you, it might have been something you read in scripture and you told it to them. Don't think that's insignificant. Don't think you being a friend to someone is insignificant. Being kind to them says a lot. Don't be discouraged. I, I want to st- take a second, honestly, to brag on our discipleship group. From one week to the next, these guys was, were filled with compassion, filled with a drive to go find their, their one and actually speak up for them. The, the week before, it was like, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what I'm going to do. But in a week's time, they had went and talked to their one. They had prayed for their one in a different way. They had even thought of ways to get to them, but maybe didn't get to them. But they had thought of ways I'm going to get in their path to be able to just be friendly to them or at least do something for them and... or it, at the, at the most, get the gospel into their ears, into their heart. I, I'm very impressed at what the Lord has done in, in them. I was really encouraged last Wednesday night of what God is doing. But don't get discouraged. Every little bit helps. Every little bit is effective. God is the one who saves. We've said that almost every week. God is the one who saves. It's not what we say. It's not what we do. God is the one who saves. Not us or any kind of or type of giftedness, natural or uh, spiritual. It's, it's God that does the saving. However he wants to save, we are just to be faithful. Some people sow some with supernatural effectiveness. Some people water with supernatural effectiveness. Some people reap with supernatural effectiveness. And not one of these people is greater than the other. You, we, we tend to do this in Christianity. We see Christians who are always pulling people in. And they're like, man, I wish I could be like that. They're always the one that's 
the ones sewing it up. They're the ones that's always bringing the people and praying with them, and they're reaching other people for the Lord, and they're coming to Jesus. They're having all these people, and you think, man, they're a really good soul winner. They're a really good person with evangelism. But see, then we write off the people that have sowed, the people who have watered. We write those people off as if, they, as if what they did didn't matter at all. Not one of these people that sow, water, or reap are greater or more uh, gifted in a different way than the other. They're all significant because they all played a part in this one person getting saved. They're, they are each miraculous because it is the gospel going forth. I think we hear the gospel so many times that we forget that the gospel in and of itself is a miraculous thing. That people who are dead, completely dead, have been raised to a new life to a totally different life. That is miraculous. No matter how you look at it, it is a miraculous thing. In 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9, this is Paul talking to the Corinthians. He says, what then is Apollos? So you had Apollos. He's going around doing things for the gospel. Paul's doing things for the gospel. And he says, what then is Apollos? What is, what is Paul? Because these people are saying, this guy's better than the other one. This guy's doing this. This guy's doing that. They are servants through whom you believed. Servants, they're just servants whom, through whom you believed. And each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. It doesn't matter what little part you think may be insignificant in someone's life. It plays a role in it. And the Holy Spirit will use that to some degree in leading them and getting them to Jesus. He says, so, so God gave the growth, so ne then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each, each will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's co-workers. We are God's co-workers. We are working with God with this gospel. So many times I've went out to talk to complete strangers and I leave and, you, and you're, you're giving the gospel to these people and, you're, and you're, you're watching their face and you're watching their soul be affected by words that are coming from this word and it's affecting their countenance and you walk away and you go home and you say, the Lord did this, but he accounted me worthy to do it with him. We are God's co-workers Man, that's amazing. Just that, that thing right there. We are working. He allows us to do that with God. You almost get the picture of a little kid who wants to play basketball. They want to dunk the basketball. You know, they just want to do it so bad. They're shooting it. They're trying to get to the basketball goal. But daddy comes up behind them and picks them up. And they slam dunk the thing. And they get to hang on the goal. And they're like, yeah, man. I slam dunk this ball. It's so awesome. But who really did the, all the work? The father did all the work. But he lifted them up and gave them some participation. They actually put the ball in the hoop. They hung on the goal. They were, they were celebrating. But the Father's the one who enabled it all. It says, we, for we are God's co-workers. You are God's field. God's building is what Paul said. Holy Spirit will enable you to do God's will at each opportunity. I promise you. If you are looking for God to help you and you are looking for conversation, you're looking to ways to get these people, whether it's in conversation or whether it's some good deed that you're doing for them, Holy Spirit will be there to enable and push that forward for the gospel. If you will just make yourself available like we spoke last week, make yourself available. Faithfulness is the win. Not numbers. Not numbers. If you counted numbers, 
you would always feel like a failure. Always. You would always feel like a failure. Because some people are called to sow, some people are called to water, and some people end up reaping. Is the sower in the water any less significant than the one who ends up calling and leading people to the Lord? No, absolutely not. But you won't be able to count a number. So don't count numbers. Don't count numbers. Faithfulness is the win. Numbers are not the win. Faithfulness is the win. And be faithful to that one person that you're so faithfully praying for. Go for that person. It's like, I think Chuck might have said something earlier. I think, yeah, I believe he did. If, if Jesus is truly the best thing that has ever happened to you, being intentional in your relationships, in your friendships, with your family, being intentional won't be a chore to work towards. It won't be a chore. It won't feel like something, man, I really hate this. I really hate doing it. No, if truly, if Jesus has been the best thing that's ever happened to you, it'll be natural. It'll be a supernatural thing. It's just an overflow of coming out in your conversations. It will flow from your gratitude and joy. So number one, being, being an intentional witness. Commit, commit yourself to being intentional. That doesn't mean that every conversation has to be something deep. I think people fall into that hole of thinking that every conversation has to be deep. We just talked about that with some of the interns this past week. That is not the goal. Some people get that impression that, if I'm going to be intentional, I've got to get, the God, I gotta get in some kind of deep thing about God. No, just tell them what you know. What did Philip do with Nathaniel? And Nathaniel's like, is there anything good that comes out of Nazareth? He's like, come and see. Just, just come and see. He didn't even answer his question. He's just like, come and see. If you, you want to find out, come and see. But number two is go.
not working. Oh, there it is. Maybe the battery came loose. I'm moving too much. Be Presbyterian. <laughs> Sorry if any Presbyterians were listening. I have a lot of friends that are Presbyterian, so that's qualified. So <laughs> you guys can move too. We'll all move when we get to heaven. So cool. But yeah, the challenge is for each person, I want you to go reach one unsaved person. And, and it's not a project. Don't view them as a project. No one loves to be a project. No one. No one wants some, to feel like, oh, they're just, they're just doing this for this reason. They're just doing it for that reason. No. Be their friend. Be their genuine friend. Do kind things for them just because you care. Because if you, if you really do care, let it overflow. Let it come out. Be kind to them. Listen to them. We can't say that enough. Listen to them. Ask them about their life and listen to what they have to say. Don't try to give them all of their life solutions in one sitting. Don't, don't do it. How do you feel when you sit down with someone and you're telling them a problem and then they're trying to tell you everything that you need to do to fix the problem? You don't feel it. You're like, I don't even know if they're listening to me. I just wanted someone to listen. I just wanted somebody to hear me out. And don't, don't do that. Just be, be their friend. Be a friend like you would have someone want to be your friend. Get to know them because you care. Look for opportunities. And, but don't, don't let it linger. Be their friend. Be intentional with it. Uh, be genuine about it. Care about them. But do it with a sense of urgency. I've got to tell them about the gospel because I don't know when we're going to die. I don't. I, you've got to keep that in your mind. I've got to get to this point. But I want to be their friend all along the way and afterwards. I've been straightforward with so many friends of mine. And they, they know where I stand. They know where they stand before the Lord. They know where they stand. But I'm still a friend to them. They still can talk to me about anything. You know, you don't want to be that person that when you're walking through work, everybody avoids you because all you can talk about is something churchy or something deep. Be real with people. Now that sounds weird. It sounds really weird, doesn't it? Don't be that person that everybody avoids because you can't talk about real life. Talk about real life with them. Talk about things that happen day to day. And the gospel will come out. If God is filling up your heart and you're seeking Him and you're filling up with Jesus, it's going to come out. You won't be able to hold it in. It'll be coming out. It'll come out of your life. But be able to talk about things. Be able to talk about their job. Be able to talk about their family genuinely be their friend i can't say that enough be their friend be their genuine friend but look for those opportunities because you don't know when the game is over you don't know share your testimony what has jesus done for you that is the best thing that you could ever do is tell someone your testimony and I think sometimes we forget about this thing. I want you to imagine with me for a second. I want you to take off the, um, the note-taking type thing. I want you to imagine with me for a second. Imagine you know the transaction that's happened in your life with Jesus. You know that He's taken your place. But I want you to imagine if the spiritual realities that we know about in our head, the spiritual realities that have happened to you as a repenting believer... From day to day, someone who is striving after Jesus, someone who is repenting daily, someone who is believing daily, someone who is continuing in those things. If those spiritual realities could be seen physically, physically with your eyes, the things that we know that Christ has done for us, how would that affect you? 
how would it affect your life? How would it affect how you say things to people? How would it affect how you give your testimony, how you share your testimony? I want you to imagine, okay, we're, you see your you see yourself standing in the line physically like don't i mean try to make this as real as possible you're standing in the line you don't know where everybody's going <clears throat> but you're standing in line but every once in a while you see the line is just getting shorter and then this guy named Jesus comes up to you and he says hey you see where those people are going they're going to eternal hell and wrath of my father because of sinfulness let me show you. And he shows you your sinfulness. He takes this light and shows you while you're standing in line and you're still moving. You're still moving towards the end of that line. And he shows you your sin. And he says, you know what I can do for you? I, I can take your place. You're actually in this line. I, I'll take your place. And he pulls you out of the line physically. If you could really physically see this, he pulls you out of the line and he gets in the line, takes your number off, gets in the line, and he stands, and he takes that wrath of God for you. If you could physically see the spiritual realities that have happened, that you know in your brain, that you've read in this word, if you could see the physical, the spiritual realities in a physical way, how would it change your, the way you, you tell your testimony? Because a lot of times I think we think of it as a disconnect. Yeah, God has taken my sin. He's taken my place. Yeah, and it's true. It's very true. But what if you could see that physically? Like he actually drug you out of the line and physically took your number off of you that you were going to be facing the wrath of God. And he put it on himself and you watched him go off that cliff into the wrath of God. How would that change how you tell your testimony? How would that change the way you tell anyone about the gospel? How would that change your passion to tell people if it was something physical that you saw? And it is a real reality. Spiritual realities are real realities. But if you could see the physical, how would that affect you? I want you to think of that. I want you to imagine that. How, what would that do to you? Tell people, how has your life changed? And I want to put this in parentheses. If your life has not changed since you said you had something going on with Jesus... Chuck and I are going to be over there later. We'd love to talk to you about it. Because if you can meet Jesus and your life not be different, we need to talk. We need to talk before you're gone. We need to talk. Your life has to be changed. Help them to understand the bad news. I think a lot of times we go around and we, and we witness and we tell only the good news and people don't understand what the good news is. I've heard people witness and they say, well, hey, do you know Jesus? And people are like, well, yeah, I've heard of him. Do you know him as your Savior? Well, I've heard people say that. Savior from what? And it's genuine. They don't, they're thinking in their head, why do I need a Savior? I'm okay. I don't need a Savior. I'm fine. I've got no problems. I've got nothing wrong with me. Life is good. But they don't get it. And then we walk away confused like, man, why, why did that not go the way I thought it should? It's because they don't. If, you, if you're going to understand good news, for it to be good, you have to understand what the opposite of it, of it is. You have to understand the bad news. Knowing the bad news makes the good news good. Make sense? If, you, if you're in talking to people, you have to pay attention. Listen, do they understand the bad news? Do they understand how bad the bad news is? That they're a part of the bad news. So let's go into that. What is the bad news? Simply put, the bad news is God is holy. 
And we are not. We are not holy. We are unholy people. We have sinned against Him, against God, against this holy God, this holy eternal God. We have sinned against Him and deserve the wrath of God. We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve to be punished because we've offended an eternal God. We have offended a holy God. We have sinned against Him. We, it is, we deserve hell and punishment for our treason against the holy eternal God. We deserve that. We have earned that. It says in Romans 3.23 that the wages of sin is death. The wages, something we've earned. Wages are what you get paid out for something you've done. Help them, help the one you care about, the one you're being friend to, help them to understand the bad news. Help them to see that. And how do you do that? Chuck knows I use the law, the Ten Commandments. It shows them. It is a mirror. It is literally like a mirror showing them their sin you hold it like that and say here look you're not gonna like it you're you just just look the ten Commandments. have you lied before it says lying lying is wrong like do not bear false witness don't lie have you lied just look have you done that have you stolen anything it says don't steal i mean god says this this is his do you have you have you done that? Are you a thief? And then even Jesus takes it deeper in Matthew. You're going to hear this from me a lot. He talks about that in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. That if you've looked at someone with lust, you've committed adultery already with them in your heart. And it says in the Ten Commandments, don't commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. And you go through those things. And it's just like, it's not an enjoyment for you. It's just like, here, I care about you have you seen this? Just, just look. Just look. I want you to see it. If they do, they do. If they don't, they don't. It's up to God. But your faithfulness in showing them the bad news will help them understand the good news. After they see it, after they see it and they understand the bad news, give them the good news. Tell the gospel story. You don't have to suffer this wrath of God. You don't have to do this. You don't have to go through that. You don't have to bear it on your own. If you will turn away from your sin and, and your good works, turn away from everything that you've ever done and give it all to Jesus and surrender to Him. Surrender to Jesus totally. Just give up. Give up. I think the hardest, uh, a lot of times we can realize, yeah, I've done a lot of bad things. Yeah, I admit it. I've broken the Ten Commandments. But then you have all of the good things that you've tried to do your whole life, right? trying to earn God's favor. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this good thing, and I'm going to try to get in with God in that way. Put those things to the side too. Give it all up. Lay it all out on the table to God. Surrender it all to Him. If you will trust Jesus with your life and eternity. But when you're telling law to the proud, grace to the humble, and I can't say it enough, be their friend. How would you want to hear these things? It would be hard to hear these things. And we heard them at one point in time, and we understood them at one point in time. Help them to see it. So here's the challenge. Each one, bring one. Just bring one. Like Philip did Nathaniel. I found this out. The Lord, the Lord has changed my life. He has totally changed it. Just come and see. In 2 Corinthians 3, 2 through 3, Paul says that they're talking about letters of recommendation, letters of commendation, of approval. 
And he says, you yourselves, you are our letter. You guys, you guys are our letter of approval. You guys are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You are the letter. You are the letter to these people. You are the letter to your one. And after that one, the next one, until we see him face to face, we'll be faithful. So number two, go and tell. Number three, recognize and repent of excuses. I think so many times we come up with so many excuses for why we can't get to the point of why we can't get to the, the, the news that is so life-changing in these people's lives. We love to be friends. It's easy to be friends with people, but we, get so, we fill up with so many excuses. But I think we need to recognize, and we're going to name off ten of them, just ten excuses that are common to us. Number one is spiritual laziness or spiritual lethargy. This being lazy spiritually. This takes place when we fail to obey and spend time with God throughout the day. Not just one time a day, just throughout the day. Talk to Him. When you think of a verse, look it up and meditate on it. Spend time with God. Spiritual laziness is a reason that we need to repent of as an excuse for not giving the gospel. For not having a gospel mindset. For not having that intentionality in our mind of telling this gospel. Number two, the second excuse that we should recognize and repent of is growing inclusiveness. You hear this all the time. All religions lead to God. That's a pretty much a prevailing opinion that, hey, if I'm a part of this, don't tell me that you're, you have the only answer. All religions will lead to God. And I think that affects our mindset because we hear it so many times. We hear it, well, I, I think there's a little bit of good in what they're doing. I can see a little bit of, okay, that's okay. Um, sometimes this view affirms Jesus is not the only way to salvation. That he can be found in other good religions. That is not the case. That is not the case. It is a subtle belief that somehow good followers will make it to heaven outside of true Christian conversion. But somehow if they just follow him in the right way that they'll make it to heaven because they're following what he says. I want to tell you this. It is, it is possible to follow the teachings of Jesus but not actually be following Christ himself. I want to say that very carefully again. It is possible to follow the teachings of Jesus, but not actually be following Christ himself, thus not truly being a Christian, not listening to him day to day, not obeying, the obedience is not there. The repentance is not there. The sight of your own sin, the way God sees it, is not there. But you're following the principles of what Jesus has said. That is, that is a dangerous place to be in. Many people take the teachings of Jesus as good principles to live by. Even people that have never heard the true gospel, they've known, they've read about Jesus. They're like, well, he's a pretty good guy. He's a good teacher, but he's not their Lord. He's not their Savior because they haven't seen their need for a Savior. Why would I need Jesus as a Savior? They don't understand the bad news. 
But the temptation and the excuse is growing in inclusiveness. Jesus is very exclusive, although all kinds of people are invited. Everyone is invited, but not everyone comes to him. John 3, 3, Jesus answered them, or answered him saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So there's some people that are not born again. There's some people that whose lives have not been changed. It's not, whenever they met Jesus, it's not like they've been reborn. It's not like they have a new life at all. They're still doing the same things that they've struggled with their whole entire life. They never come where they smacked Jesus and said, or they, they were smacked by him and to a reality that they've never stepped foot in before and saw their self, oh my gosh, he's holy. I'm so unholy. I've got to stop doing this stuff. I've got to get rid of this sin. I've got, to, I've got to start getting rid of things that are enabling the sin. I've got to start throwing stuff off the ship. This ship is sinking. I've got to get rid of it. And then you have other people that say, yeah, I've met Jesus. I enjoy all the stuff on the ship. What's the difference? The ship is sinking still. There's been no change in their life. Jesus says you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. You will not see it. John 1, 12-13, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. God is the one who changes their life. God is not all-inclusive to every religion. He is very exclusive and says, You must be born again to be saved. Your life will be different. You will live a different life. So the second one was growing inclusive. And number three, Disbelief in hell. Disbelief in hell is an excuse. And you say, well, I don't not believe there's a hell. I believe there's a hell. We do in our minds. We do a lot of the times in our mind, but it never gets in our heart that hell is a real place. Hell is a real place. And if we really believe that hell is a real place, we'll see people in a different light. If we really believe that they're going to hell, We'll do something about it. We'll strive to do something about it. We'll dig a hole in the roof if we have to. We'll do everything we can if we know that hell is a real place. This is what undermines the urgency. Because we just can't see people walking off the cliff into hell. We can't see it. We don't see it physically. But if we could, how would that affect you if you saw physical reality to all the spiritual realities that are happening daily? How would that affect your life? How? How would you change how you're doing things now? Because it is a reality. We just can't see it. We know it's happening, but we've got to keep it in, our for, in the forefront of our mind. Eternity. When, when being friendly to others on a daily basis, this is a good way a preacher put it one time. I can't remember who said it. Keep one eye on heaven and one eye on hell. As you're going through your daily life, as you go from doing your job, as you go doing these things, keep one eye on heaven and one eye on hell. The number four uh, thing that we need to repent of, of neglecting uh, things of that nature, is busyness. You've heard us say this before, busyness. We're too busy for people. 
We go through life and we're doing our own thing and we don't have time to think of the things of eternity. Uh, the things that we're doing, they do matter. They do matter to us. They do matter to them. The kindness that we're having, having, having uh, with them, the things that we may do together, the, the times we go play golf with them, like Chuck said, we go play golf for months with them, not just because they're a project, but you enjoy playing golf and you want to see that relationship. You want to see them connected to Jesus. But we get so busy let me, let me tell you this, the unchurched people, they need us to tell them about Jesus. They need the good news. They need the good news. They need to hear it. This needs to be on our to-do list as our busy, so busy, we're so busy with our to-do list, this, that, I've got to get this done the next day, I've got to get this done by next week. This needs to be on our to-do list. It needs to be something that urges us to that. Have a mindset to do that. But this, like I said, you don't have to have a deep conversation. I want to drill that. Like I think some people feel like they have to get into a deep conversation every time. No, you don't. The simple gospel. The simple. The bad news, the good news. This is where we are. Have those conversations amongst the regular conversations. Have the gospel on the tip of your tongue. Slow down. The simple as Jesus put it. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. If you love God with all of your heart, you will love your neighbor. It won't be a project. You love God, you love them. And if you love your neighbor and you love God, you'll tell them about God. You'll tell them about Jesus. You'll tell them the good news. So I ask you this question as a challenge. What priority do you give to reaching the lost? Where does that fall on your top 10 list? The priority for reaching the lost. The number five excuse is fear of rejection. This is a real thing. We don't like to be rejected. We don't like people to not like us. But this is an excuse we use. It says, here, I have the, here, research shows that only one in four unchurched persons will be resistant to, to faith discussions. One in four. Only one in four will be resistant. Only one in four. 75% are open to listening. It is a lie from the devil for you to think, I, I'm going to get rejected every, like, every time I'm going to get rejected. I'm, uh, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. That's the devil keeping you from telling the good news because he knows that it's the power of God and the salvation. He wants to keep you in that fear of rejection. The few people that have an antagonistic attitude uh, towards the gospel are not always rejecting you personally. Their anger is merely a reflection, of some, uh, a reflection of something they've dealt with in the past. It's something that's come up. And, um, but sometimes they do hate you because you're, you're a Christian and you follow Christ and, you are, and you're being affected by him. Because Jesus said it in, in John 15. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hates or before it's hated you, a servant is not greater than his master. 75% are open to hear the gospel. Number six, a desire to be tolerant. The gospel in some sense is intolerant. Um, God is angry with the wicked every day. He's not happy with the wicked. He is absolutely not happy with the wicked and the unholy. In Psalm 7, 11 through 13, God is a righteous judge and a God who shows his wrath every day. If, every, if anyone does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has strung his bow and made it ready. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He tips his arrows with fire. 
This is God. He is angry with the wicked every day, but he has mercy and he doesn't destroy the earth. Let us go and tell people that God is not happy with you. He's not, he wasn't happy with me, but he has saved me. He's changed my life. He's put me on a different path. He's put me after Jesus. He's put the Holy Spirit in my heart. I do things now that I've never thought of doing before. I've got rid of things now that I've never thought of getting rid of before. And I love it. I love it. It has changed my life. Tolerant, this is what Timothy Keller said. To, uh, Timothy Keller. Tolerance isn't about having beliefs. It is not having beliefs. It is about how your beliefs lead you to treat others who disagree with you. Everyone's always hollering about being tolerant. It's not about how not having any beliefs at all. It's about how you treat people. But number seven, losing the habit of witnessing. That is an excuse. We've gotten out of the habit of it. Witnessing is a discipline. It is a mindset that you walk in every day. It is a gauge of what gives you the most joy. Eyes on Jesus. You hear me tell you that all the time. Eyes on Jesus. Don't forget the condition you were in when Jesus rescued you. Number eight, lack of accountability. When you have someone holding you accountable, it can increase your zeal for witnessing. Hey, man, how has it been going with witness? How have you been talking to the Lord? Have you made those conversations? Number nine, failure to invite. When was the last time you invited an unchurched person to church? 96% of the people who will come to Christ are those who are invited to come and see, like Philip told Nathaniel. 96% of the people who will come to Christ are those who are invited to come and see. And that doesn't neglect the part of go and tell because you have to go and tell to tell someone to come and see. You know, a lot of people will say, well, I'll just tell them to come and see. Just come to church. Just come to church. No, tell them about Jesus and why you need to come and see. Come and see. 20% of believers will invite another believer to church. Okay, this is, this is what's going to blow your mind. Hang with me here for a second. I want you to get this. 20% of believers will invite another believer to church. Only one. Five will do that. Only 2% of believers will invite an unbeliever to church. 2%. So 20% of believers will invite another Christian. Like, hey, hey, you just moved into, you just moved into the neighborhood. Hey, oh yeah, I used to go to church at so-and-so place and all this. Hey, well, you should come on. Come on to church with me. Only 20% will do that much. But it says only 2% of believers will invite an unbeliever to church. 2%. So there's a failure to invite. That means 98% will not invite an unbeliever to church to come and see. That's an awful, awful statistic. And we use it, we use it as an excuse. We just don't invite. Philip brought Nathaniel. Andrew brought Peter. Just one person. It's such a simple gesture that even that can have such a significant outcome. But number 10, the church is not intent on reaching the lost. That is something like we're not intent. intent. I think Heritage does a pretty good job, a pretty good job. I'll give you guys a hand at, at reaching the lost and having a heart for that. But let's not stop there. Let's push further. 
Let's fan the flame. Let's keep going. It is said that it takes 85 church members to reach an unsaved person. Man, that's an also terrible statistic. Let's fan the flame. Let's have a, we need to pray for consuming passion for Jesus and a consuming compassion for the lost. So in, in closing here, I want to ask you some questions, some challenge questions. Will, will you be intentional with the gospel? Will you make it a point to have it in your mind, even in the ordinary conversations? Will you have it in your mind and say, I've, I'm, I've got to get to this point. I've got to get them to hear this. I've got to get them to understand this. God, do something with them. Pray for them. Intercede for them. Will you be intentional? Will you set your mind on Jesus? Number two, will you be accountable? Will you provoke one another to speaking the gospel? Number three, will you be courageous with the gospel? Will you have a compassion and share eternity with people? All it took was Philip to call Nathaniel and say, hey, We found him. We found this. Come and see. I want you to imagine what what would heritage look like if everyone was doing this. Like if every one person in here brought one person, we wouldn't be able to sit in here next week. And that's not what we're aiming for. We're not aiming for the numbers, but I'm just saying look at the impact. Every single person that I'm looking at, if every single person brought one person, we wouldn't fit. We wouldn't fit in here. We'd have to do something else. But think of the lives that would be changed if you all brought one person and every single one of those people were saved and God changed their life. So Samuel, I don't know if you have a, a song. If you come on, come on up, that'd be, that'd be great. Let's go ahead and get ready to pray. Let's... I want to let you guys know that before we get ready to pray, if you have any questions about the sermon or about sharing the gospel with folks in your circle, or maybe you were listening to the sermon and you heard the bad news that you'd never heard before and it struck you in a weird, in a different way and you'd never understood it that way before. Maybe you feel conviction about some of the excuses we mentioned. Come talk to me and Chuck. We'll be over there next to the couch. Come talk to us. Maybe while I was preaching, God showed you in a very real way that you've never seen before. That your life has never been changed by the gospel or by Jesus. That you've had a relationship and you've heard something about Jesus, but your life's just never changed. Maybe it, maybe it struck you in a different way. Come, come talk to us. Maybe you realized I might be one of those people headed in that line headed for hell to walk off the cliff. And I've never done anything about it. And my life's not different. And I'm not, I've not been born again. I've not, my life is not different. There's nothing that's been changed in my life. I don't hate sin. Any, I don't hate sin now. Like, Matt's been talking about I should hate my sin. I should be throwing stuff. I don't care to do that. Come talk to us. We'll pray with you. We'll talk with you. We'll talk it out. Just come. We'll be more than willing to talk with you and pray.
Let me pray. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for who you are. Lord, we're thankful for your gospel. Lord, we know that there are people here that are headed for your wrath. They have the wrath of God abiding on them. Lord, we pray that you would do a work in their heart that only you can do. Lord, that we can't describe with feeble words. Lord, we can't describe you. There's, you're just in, you're indescribable. But Lord, your Holy Spirit can, can change hearts. Lord, I pray that you would do that today. And that if someone has an inkling of a question or inkling of, I need to do something about this before I'm, before I'm gone, before I'm dead, I need to have questions answered, I need to be talked to, Lord, let them just come. Let them just come. In Jesus' name, amen.